Good morning, Elevation. It's good to be with you in this virtual space here in the middle of summer. I want to start off this morning by showing you a photo. This is a photo that I took last weekend at Sable Beach. And in a sense, when you see it, you're going to think, well, it's just a sunset. Um, but I'll explain why I'm sharing it with you here this morning. So this is a photo that I took at Sable Beach along the shore. We uh, were up there last weekend. Every year for the past 25 so years, uh, I've gone up to spend at least some time in July with Melissa's, Melissa's family. Her mom rents a little cottage up there. And this year, as of every year, when it was a beautiful night out, we went down to the beach to watch the sunset. And I have done this dozens, hundreds of times probably over the years, but I recognized something or I noticed something that kind of stood out to me this year. And so I took this picture. And what you see in the picture is a beautiful sunset for sure. And you see a number of people kind of at the, along the shoreline. But what this photo doesn't capture is the fact that there were dozens more, if not hundreds of people who were lined up all along the shore of the beach. And as I was looking at that, I thought this is really quite profound. There's something about gathering at the shore to see a sunset that is like this shared human experience. And it was quite profound to me when I was watching it happen. Now, listen, not everyone cares about a sunset. There were plenty of people who did not come down to the beach. And in the same way, not everyone cares about faith. But a lot of people care about sunsets and a lot of people care about faith. A lot of us sense that there is something more. There is something deeper at play in this world of ours. And this summer, we're going to be spending our time together exploring this theme of faith. Hebrews 11 is probably the most faith-filled chapter in the Bible, introducing us to a cast of Old Testament characters and the various ways that they demonstrate their faith in God. Reading and digesting these stories and sharing our own contemporary stories with one another can help us experience a deepening of our own faith. Like a crowd spread out along the shores of Lake Huron, we are just the latest in a long line of people who have set out on a trusting way of life rooted in God's promises. And like most everyone who has walked this way of faith before us, we too can expect to struggle with some very real questions along the way. So Hebrews 11 verse seven reads this way, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Now, this is probably one of the best known of all Bible stories. Certainly, if you grew up in a church environment, you heard this story year after year in Sunday school classes. Even if you did not grow up in a church, though, this is a story that goes beyond just church circles. I was thinking as I was preparing this week about the children's artist, Rafi. So when I was a kid, I would have listened to Rafi and he wasn't singing like religious songs, but he had a song about Noah who built the ark. Noah, Noah, who built the ark, brother? Noah built the ark. And so all kinds of kids would have been listening to this music, hearing the story of Noah. It's just kind of part of our pop culture, if you will. I mean, in a sense, all of those adorable animals coming two by two, they're bound to make it a favorite story for kids. But the truth is, this ancient story wasn't passed down to us because of its cuteness. In Genesis 6 verse 9, we read that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Now, if you miss this first part, you're bound to miss the moral of the story, that God is faithful to those who are faithful. Now, as it turned out, in Noah's day, he was basically it when it came to faithfulness. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. 
Now there are elements of the story that are hard to believe, but this is not one of them. Not this part. Every day we see and hear evidence of just how corrupt and violent our world is. And it was in the face of this evil that God made a plan to start over with Noah and his family, to build a new humanity, if you will. So he instructed him, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Now God goes on to provide Noah with detailed instructions and explains that in short order, all life on earth will be swept aside by floodwaters, except for those in the ark. And how did Noah respond? Verse 22 tells us that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now, in our mind's eye, we can kind of imagine this story unfolding, um, but Hollywood has done a little bit of a job helping us try to imagine this. Uh, in 2014, the movie starring Russell Crowe came out, which was based on the story of Noah, uh, a little bit of liberty, of course, but trying to use the latest special effects and technology to imagine like what would it have been like in order to see all of these animals gather and to build this ship and to watch it sailing on the, on the floodwaters. Like what might it have been like? And then like to take things one step further to make things even more easy for us to understand or to, to grasp around the story. So people got together and created what is known as the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. And I'll put a picture of this up as well. And as you can see, this is a life-size replica using the exact dimensions out of Genesis, 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, 51 feet high, uh, an exact replica of the original Ark. And you can go inside and there's all kinds of exhibits and you can read all about the story itself. Um, the story of Noah and the Ark provides plenty of details about the Ark's construction and the gathering of the animals, but it has even more to offer us if we can learn to read between the lines. You see, much like the creation story that we touched on last week, the story of Noah's Ark raises more questions than it does answers. But the primary question that I want to focus on today is what does the story of Noah teach us about having faith? Now, if we're going to talk about movies that help us try to understand the story of Noah's Ark, uh, you got to think about Evan Almighty, this 2007 flick uh, starring Steve Carell, um, and basically brings this, the faith of Noah to a modern audience. As the story goes, Steve Carell's character, Evan Baxter, he's a newly elected congressman, and he's just getting started on his career, and all of a sudden he kind of gets this message from God, who is, of course, played by Morgan Freeman. And essentially, God is trying to send him this message that you need to build an ark. This makes no sense to Evan Baxter. And so he kind of goes about his business, but all of a sudden, strange things start happening to him. Oh, giant crates of wood start showing up on his doorstep. Animals start like being attracted to him and kind of like following him wherever he goes. He starts growing a beard and as soon as he shaves it, the beard keeps growing. And, and this is like uh, what happens. Eventually this robe shows up and he's walking around. And by the end of the movie, he has this long white hair, long white beard. He's wearing a robe, carrying the staff, animals all around him and he's got the ark built. Now, the movie is, of course, ridiculous, um, but it asks us this kind of, it presents this kind of interesting picture. Like, what would it look like if the events of Genesis 6 happened today? What would it look like if God told someone, go and build an ark in the middle of nowhere? Now, the real question that I guess the movie asks is how would you respond if you were the one charged with building the ark? Like, how would you react? What would you do? What if it's not an ark? Because, of course, it won't be. But what if it's something else that God asks you to do? How will you respond? How will I respond? Julian Barnes writes, what's the point of faith unless you and it are serious, seriously serious, unless your religion fills, stains, and sustains your life? 
You see, at the end of the day, the story of Noah is about someone taking their faith very seriously. In the New Testament book of 1 Peter, we read that God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now, I can't even imagine how long it would take for like one man and his family to build something this large. I can't even like wrap my head around that. Um, But if we allow our imagination to wander around the periphery of the text, we might wonder what was going through Noah's mind. Was Noah happy about this plan? Like when he hears these words from God, is he like, you know what? I'm kind of tired of this world too. I wish we could start over. Or is he like, are you kidding me? You think like I'm the only good person around here? Uh, Did he think I'm totally up to the task? Did he think this is crazy? I could never accomplish this. So what did he think about this? But you know, we can have some real fun if you want to think, what did Noah's wife think about this, right? Like if you're married, just, you know, go and consider like you going up to your spouse and saying, by the way, just so you know, um, God spoke to me and I'm going to build a giant ark because the world is going to be flooded. Like how does his wife respond to this? And what about his daughters-in-law, right? Like, and they marry these guys you imagine these handsome young men in Noah's family and, and they, you know, become part of this family. And then all of a sudden one day their father-in-law sits them down and says, listen, ladies, um, like I've said, just like daughters to me, you're part of the whole clan. Um, you are going to start a brand new humanity just with us. So from now on, everyone else in the world's gone, including your families, it's just going to be us. Like, what did these daughters-in-law think? And of course, the big question, what did his neighbors think? Like, what do you think when someone starts building this giant boat in the middle of nowhere? Um, what were they going to do? Now, this, this is something that's actually interesting about this story. If you were to tell the story of Noah and the Ark, if you kind of write a little script, you would probably include something about his neighbors mocking him or his neighbors discouraging him and Noah trying to like show them that he has faith. Um, But there's actually nothing about that in the biblical story as it is. But of course, being humans, we know that people would have certainly mocked Noah for this. Now, here's the thing. What if his wife, his daughters-in-law and his neighbors all thought that this was a terrible idea, which they almost certainly did? Well, last week, I talked about the we of faith, that this isn't something that we do on our own. At least it shouldn't be. We should absolutely invite others into our faith journey. And the opinions of others matter a lot. But we still have to respond to God's call. And it's God's opinion that matters most at the end of the day. Regardless of what he or anyone else around him thought, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. So, Noah and his family enter the ark and they waited there for seven days. Now, what would have gone through their minds, honestly, during what would have been just about the longest week in human history? They build this enormous boat, they put themselves in it, they've got animals all over the place, and God tells them, just hang on, because in seven days from now, it's gonna start raining. So they're in there, this tiny little family, all eight of them, animals all over, the smell, the sound, would have been clammy in there, who knows, and they're just waiting and waiting. What would have been like? Frederick Buechner says, there is doubt hard on the heels of every belief. Fear hard on the heels of every hope. And so despite the fact that it was just the eight of them and all those animals in that ark, I can tell you with almost certainty that there was doubt in that ark. I can all but guarantee that Noah would have wrestled with some uncertainty around whether God would actually be faithful to what he had been promised. Doubt comes from the same root as the words duo and double. And so we can understand the word doubt as being in two minds. So kind of believing or thinking two things at the same time. God is going to be faithful to his promise. This is crazy town. What am I doing in this ark with all these animals? 
If Noah didn't have doubts that week as he waited, then he wasn't human. And if you or I don't have doubts when we are called to have a measure of faith that stretches us beyond anything we've had to put our faith in before, well then we're probably not very human either. In his book, Faith After Doubt, Brian McLaren writes, it's hard enough having doubts. It's impossibly hard to have them and feel you must pretend that you don't. Last Sunday, I mentioned that I had gone on a camping trip with some friends in Algonquin. And one of the things that they wanted to do is go on this bike trip. A friend of mine was like, we've got to do this bike trip. Uh, do you want to come, Brennan? And I said, listen, I'm game for camping, but I'm not a biker. I actually don't have a functional bicycle. So, and I, I don't bike normally, so there's no way I can do a 40 kilometer bike trip with you guys. So he says, no problem. I've got a spare bike. You're good to go. And I'm like, oh, great. Why do you have to have a spare bike? So we go up to Algonquin and we do the camping thing. And uh, as, uh, as we're heading to bed, they're like, all right, we're going to get out of get up early in the next morning and hit the trail. And I'm like, okay, and I'll do my best. What can I say? In the morning, I hear a couple of friends in the next tent. They're talking. I look at my clock on my phone. It's 5.01. 5.01 in the morning, they wake up. By six o'clock, we are on this trail. And so we bike through the campground. And at first it's like, okay, I'm like, I can handle this. This is fine. It'll be a long journey, but I can handle this pace. Well, we get to the trailhead and then we stop. And I think we took a picture or something. And all of a sudden it's like, are you ready to go? All right, let's go and they take off. Now you gotta understand, these friends of mine, they all are cyclists. They cycle all the time. They all have like thousand dollar bikes. They've got the gloves, they've got goggles, they've got the fancy water bottles, whatever you have. And they take off and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like quite a pace. And I'm going after them. And for the first few hundred meters, I'm thinking, I'm supposed to bike this fast for 40 kilometers? Anyways, I did my best to fake it. By about 25 or 27 kilometers, I was done. My quads were on fire. They were screaming. My butt was so sore, it was ridiculous. And so I finally, I said, one of my friends who was back with me, I said, listen, I'm done. Go ahead with, catch up with the others. I am not biking anymore. It was this long incline that we were on and I was like, I can't do it. So I got off the bike and walked. He biked really slowly beside me and we chatted as we're going, but I was like, this is crazy. Eventually, after a little bit of rest, I did bike the rest of the way home. And then so later on that night, I was like at the campsite, we're talking and, and my one friend said, oh shoot, I forgot to buy eggs. He said, well, why don't we do another bike trip in the morning? We'll bike to the store it's only 10k away and we'll get ourselves some eggs and breakfast without even hesitating i said i'm out do not wake me up in the morning i'm not biking another kilometer not going to happen sometimes you just can't afford to pretend anymore last week i shared one of our key values at Elevation is life together and talked about how faith isn't something that's meant to be done alone. Well, another piece of that life together value says that we want to be real with one another, to live with integrity. And as a result, there's no need to put up fronts or hide our shortcomings. Our challenge is to be honest with ourselves and inspire others to be the same. You see, the role of a community of faith like Elevation is not to banish doubt from one another's lives, but to help one another hold our doubts along with our faith and to model what it looks like to keep our faith even as our doubts linger. Now, those three friends that I went camping and biking with, each of them is in the middle of a significant trial in their lives. One of those friends lost his wife to cancer last fall. Another of those friends also last fall, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And another of those friends is going through a very significant leadership conflict in the church where he's a pastor. And so I know that each of these guys are going through significant things that would cause them to doubt God's faithfulness for their own faith to waver. And let me tell you, there is something profound about being surrounded by people who have every reason to doubt 
but still find a way to hold on tightly to their faith. And so that's, that's the opportunity that we have as a community of faith to allow people to hold on to their doubts, but to help them help one another cling on to that faith while we have those doubts at the same time. Now, of course, the story doesn't end with Noah and his family waiting impatiently in the ark. That happened for seven days. And then after the seven days, we read the floodwaters came on the earth. For 40 days and 40 nights, it rained. And then the earth remained flooded for another 150 days, all the while Noah and his family in the ark. Then in Genesis 8, 15 and 16, we read, God said to Noah, come out of the ark. And Noah started building the ark after he was warned about things not yet seen. But now the time had finally come for him to see God's faithfulness in action. Not only did God bring about the storm that he had said, but he brought Noah safely through it. The author of Hebrews goes on to say that Noah leaves us an example of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. This reminds me of another part of the New Testament, the letter of James. In James 2.14, we read, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? You see, faith isn't believing something. It's a trusting way of life rooted in God's promises. And faith must be accompanied by action. Not always building an ark, almost never building an ark, but something, some kind of action. James 2.17 we read, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And so a question for us to let simmer in the back of our minds this week, what can you do today or this week to act on your faith? As the author Aaron Lane says, we need to get real about what we believe and then ask what practices support those beliefs. Now I'm going to hit pause here for a moment and I'm going to explain what's going to happen on the other side of the end of the sermon. So before I wrap up, let me explain communion. Um, because things are more open in our region right now, we have an opportunity to gather together outdoors for a bit for a small communion ceremony. And we're going to do that starting at 1130 this morning. So once you're off this call, do whatever you need to do around the house. And we would love for you to make your way over to 22 Willow to the back lawn. And we'd encourage you to bring a lawn chair or a blanket. And we're going to spread out, keeping two meters between our households and have an outdoor communion ceremony. It'll be relatively brief. We'll have a couple of songs, some responsive reading. We'll share the elements together. Uh, we will have elements available and we'll provide them in a manner in keeping with health and safety protocols. Um, but if you prefer to bring your own bread and juice, then you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, so again, we would encourage you to show up. You don't need to pre-register, but to show up on the back lawn at 22 Willow at 1130 this morning. Now, earlier on, I said that the moral of the story is that God is faithful to those who are faithful. That is one moral of the story, but there is another one too. In Genesis 8, 21, we read God's words. Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. You see, by the end of the story, God's faithfulness extends to everyone and everything. In Genesis 9:1, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Everyone listening to this message today, along with everyone who isn't listening, 
can likewise receive God's mercy and blessing and is invited, like Noah, to live a life of faith in things not yet seen. I'm going to read the words of Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, and then we'll close in prayer. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people like Noah and his family, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Let us pray. God, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to gather together around these stories of faith, to be encouraged and reminded that you call us to respond with action. God, some of us have doubts that get in the way of faith, and I pray that you would help us to encourage one another to hold on to both. Some of us have trials in front of us that seem insurmountable, that seem impossible. And I pray that this story of this incredibly unbelievable thing, but your faithfulness in the midst of it would inspire us, that you can come through for us and that you will be faithful to your promises for us. God, I ask that as we go about this day and this week, that we would be mindful that your presence is with us and that we would realize that you are close to us, that we can talk to you and invite you into whatever it is we walk through in life. Remind us of your presence. Give us your peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So just before we sign off, a reminder that because we're doing this communion this morning, there will not be our, no our normal neighbors gathering. If you would like to share in communion, but are not um, comfortable joining or are not able to join in person at 22 Willow, uh, a Zoom link was shared via our weekly email on Friday, and there will be an opportunity to gather with others from our community via Zoom at 11 o'clock to share in communion. Uh, so whether you decide to join virtually or join us at 22 Willow at 11.30, we hope to see you and participate in this activity with you. And if not, may God bless you as you go through the week.